Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. This is part two of my interview with Dr. John DiCamillo concerning his presentation, COVID-19 Vaccines, Conscience and the Common Good, from the 2022 NCBC Bishops Workshop. In part one, John and I discussed the formation of conscience, the importance of informed consent, and various factors regarding COVID vaccines that Catholics and others of goodwill need to consider into determining whether or not to accept a vaccine or a booster. In this part of the interview, John discusses how the Catholic understanding of the common good can help inform responses to challenging questions raised by COVID-19 vaccines and boosters, as well as mandates. So, John, your presentation focused on formation of conscience, which we've talked about at length here, but it also focused on the common good. So kind of getting into that, how does the Catholic Church understand the common good, and how does this teaching relate to COVID-19 vaccines, boosters, as, as well as the mandates? So, yeah, point number one, I mean, the Church's basic understanding of the common good is incredibly simple. It's God. <laughs> you know, the common good is God himself. Um, and that is that is its simplest definition. And so what that means, though, by implication, and you find this in the compendium of the social doctrine, is that, I mean, anything which purportedly serves the common good cannot be in a in a reductionist perspective or a reductionist vision that would say that would in any way exclude God. Um, it has to be in some way ordered to God. Um, and so, you know, what I have found uh, frustrating in the, the many months of discussions about the common good, in particular with regard to vaccination, has been the sort of repeated refrain from all quarters um, that basically we need to get vaccinated to serve the common good. That may or may not be true. And uh, because it, it, re- it relies, first of all, on factual questions about whether we're, we're actually achieving the medical benefits expected, et cetera, et cetera. But it also um, involves some kind of judgment about what is the common good. And that vision of the common good implied in the statement, get vaccinated to serve the common good, is, I would say, reductionist. Um, in other words, it doesn't take into account the fact that... Um, getting a certain percentage of vaccination, which let's just assume is going to you know, limit transmission and reduce spread of the virus and the harms of the virus, that's looking at the common good as if it were only um, the limitation of uh, harms, bodily harms uh, caused directly by COVID-19. Uh, it's not considering other public health parameters like mental health, for example, and how that might be impacted by the, the force of mandates and the threats of loss of job. Um, or, or those other things related to mandates, uh, or even just by intense social pressures. Because, you know, before we had the mandates, there was still a lot of intense social pressure and familial pressure being brought to bear on people to get vaccinated because it was purportedly the only way to oh, get us out of the pandemic. Don't get yeah. me started on that. <laughs> I experienced that firsthand. Yes. Right, uh, right. And, and it's terrible. It's almost almost worse in a certain way. I'm not, I'm not you know, because it, it gets to your interior emotional reality and your your personal relationships are are in a sense threatened or compromised or become predicated upon whether or not you get vaccinated. Yep. And it's like, 
what am I just like a, you know, a, a walking like piece of meat that, that needs to be sterilized, you know, or something to, to prevent uh, transmission of disease? Like, am I not a, a full human person with uh, ability to make judgments about medical decisions or something? So there's this danger is my point that we reduce the common good to a purely physical um perspective on things that excludes goods like social harmony, like human relationships, like cultural vibrancy, you know, tying vaccination status to whether you can go to the movie theater or an art museum or these kinds of things. Like, how do we have a, a vibrant cultural life when we're, we're we've become obsessed about, um, you know, making sure that uh, we, we, we achieve a 95 to 100 percent vaccination rate? Um, and and that's that's a dangerous thing. So anyway, the common good is God himself, for starters. Any discussion of the common good in Catholic social teaching cannot lose sight of this. If anything categorically excludes God from its judgment of the common good, then it's wrong. Um, and and um, the, the compendium also states that, I mean, any proper understanding of the common good um, will never displace the uh, primacy of the human person. And the defense of that primacy of the human person. So any proper understanding of the common good, and since common good is God, right, um, has to be consistent with the primacy of the human person. If you're doing something that displaces the primacy of the human person and starts to treat them as just, you know, some kind of um, necessary part in a mechanical puzzle of all these things that have to be met, um, then you're starting to treat them in a utilitarian fashion and not as uh, an individual subject in the image and likeness of God with his own um, soul consciousness, conscience, and, and, um, and dignity to be respected, uh, particularly when it comes to something like um, medical decisions. Yeah. All right. I'd like to uh, follow up on that question by reading a, it's, it's a bit of an extended quote from your paper um, and then get your take on it. And I love this quote. So quote, vaccine campaigns, for example, Risk compromising free and informed consent, turning people into cogs whose behavioral compliance is more important to the collective than their personhood, spurring pandemics of inadequate information and short-changed judgments of conscience as people are pushed to follow purely passion-based incentives like peer pressure, noble goals that tuck at heartstrings, cash gifts, or free ice cream sprinkled with compelling calls to save grandma, but limited useful facts all while glossing over the need for meaningful investigation and reflection on, on a personal basis, unquote. Now, first thing, John, that's one sentence. I'd like you to diagram that <laughs> sentence for us, <laughs> if you that, could, but that, that's, that's a final <laughs> example. Right there. That's the Italian in me coming out. You know, the Italians, they, they speak in very long sentences. Uh, I, and as an interpreter, when I was in Rome trying to interpret the, the professors speaking, it, it became very intense trying to continue you know, following along a positive after a positive, like, okay, where are we in this sentence? So yeah, that's, that's that coming out there. <laughs> I, I love that sentence. That, that's just a classic. But, but I guess like, like what, what exactly are you trying to say in this quote? And, yeah. and what's the impact both on the common good and, and going back to the formation of conscience? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's making evident uh, through some examples of, you know, the peer pressure and the noble goals, cash gifts, the free ice cream, 
Um, Don't forget marijuana it, it, cigarettes. I would have, I would have added, uh, added, yeah. <laughs> to add joints to that because that, right. that actually was, yeah. that was going on. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, to making the point that these things, um, when you hear that and you listen to that, I mean, this is really, this is marketing. This is not, you know, marketing is not appropriate for informed consent to medical decisions um, where, you know, in, involving risks to your life and health. Those are conversations for the medical context between a patient uh, and a professional. And, um, you know, to, to turn it into marketing, which is essentially what it is here, um, is to appeal to what marketers appeal to, primarily uh, fear and love. Um, I, I have a, a brother who worked in sales for a while and uh, knows a thing or two about marketing and was basically like, yeah, you know, this is like the first basic things they teach you in marketing and sales is like people have two primary passions, fear and love. And you want to appeal to one of those two things to get them to, to buy your product, basically. <laughs> and it's like, ah, OK, um, understood. And it's true. And both fear and love can have a legitimate um, expressions. Uh, they can be, you know, turned to good uh, aims and properly channeled uh, when it's a fear of things that are uh, bad and harmful and when it's a love obviously for things that are good. But the problem is when we don't actually provide again that informational context to say what is it that I'm even deciding? Like what are the facts about the vaccines? What are the facts about the disease? And if I don't have those things clear, I'm in a muddled, confusing world of information that I can't figure out and the only thing I'm left with is I want to do the right thing. Right. And, and I want to show my love for my neighbors. And this is a completely good intention and it is completely uh, good, a uh, kind of direction, but when it doesn't have with it, the, the information that helps me understand, not just, I want to love my neighbor, but how do I love my neighbor? Well, like, what is the way? It's the classic even in, in, in uh, moral theology and in ethics is, you know, uh, the, a good intention is not sufficient for a good action. You have to have a morally good object of your act as well as intentions and circumstances. So when you appeal to things like fear or love um, and, you know, a, a general charitable intention, obviously everybody wants to save and protect grandma. You know, everybody likes free ice cream. <laughs> Most right. people, like, yeah. right? It's like, okay, I'm these are, okay. <laughs> um, so, but, but what is it that makes it um, a good decision for me to receive a vaccine? You know, the fact that I'm going to get a thousand dollars doesn't make it a good decision for me, for my health and for those around me to get a vaccine. It's literally an incentive with a very purpose of making me decide something I otherwise wouldn't have decided without that incentive. <laughs> you know, and 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 not actually explaining to me, hey, here are the pros, here are the cons, you know, here are the risks, here are the potential benefits. Uh, here's the nature of what we're doing. It's an experimental gene therapy. Uh, you know, it's a gene transfer technology. Um, it's intended to protect you from COVID-19, um, you know, uh, severe uh, symptoms and hospitalization. Um, it probably can't protect you very well against prevent um, infection or transmission, et cetera. You know, explaining like, hey, here are all the actual facts, the best we can explain them. And and yeah, you know, will it save grandma? I don't know. <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the problem, right? Uh, obviously, I want to, and and some of these uh, advertisements, particularly when they're directed at children, it, it's very, very yes. um, terrible because yeah. 
children always want to do, you know, it's like, how can exactly. I help? You know, I, I want to, you know, do whatever I can to say, I want to be a superhero. You know, there, there are some advertisements displaying kids as superheroes uh, and wearing superhero costumes, getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Can it be a charitable thing for them to do? Can be. Um, but, but I, I would, I would submit not very likely in most cases, because how much does a child actually understand about making a self gift um, you know, a sacrificial taking on of certain risks in order to gain certain protections, they're trusting in the end their parent or, or whoever is their legal guardian to be making that judgment on their behalf. Um, and, and what they're reveling in is the intention. Like, what, I, I want to help people. And that's great and beautiful. But, but are you really helping people? Are you really helping yourself? Or are you exposing yourself to unnecessary risks and actually not helping anyone? Those, those are the important questions from the what's actually happening here um, and, and where can I, you know, get that information. Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned the children because I was I, here in the Philadelphia area, we get quite a few of those commercials where, you know, the superhero kids, or you have the kids who are reading a script about, you know, yes, you know, look at me, I'm going to get vaccinated and and all of this stuff. And it's it's even you know, the state is, is paying for it. It's, you know, we get from New Jersey and here yeah. from Pennsylvania and it's just, I just watch those ads and, and I just can't help thinking to myself that these children are being exploited yes. for, you know, for some purpose. Now, again, maybe the intention is good. Um, but I just, you know, when you see these children who are, they have no idea what they're saying, uh, in terms of the scripts that they're, that they're, that they're saying on camera. And it just, I, uh, I, I'm just glad you brought that up because it, it, it drives me nuts when I see it. Yeah. And I am actually going to, uh, since we're talking about kids for a minute here, I, I want to mention one initiative in particular, I think people should be aware of, uh, and again, to judge for themselves, but I think that um, it's called the, the unity project, uh, the unity project online, or I'm sorry, unityprojectonline.com. And the group is called the unity project. Um, and the focus of this group um, is not, um, you know, pro-vax, anti-vax, etc. The the purpose of this group is essentially um, to to f- fight mandates for vaccination mm-hmm. for children. Yep. yep. And that I think is a goal that many people uh, can agree upon, regardless of their individual decisions about whether they get the vaccine or whether they get the vaccine for their children, because the, the, the whole idea is to um, prevent forced child vaccination. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's worth mentioning here. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of vaccine mandates, one more quote I want to uh, give from your paper and ask you to, uh, to comment on it. So uh, you also stated this concerning mandates, quote, the use of near exceptionless mandates smacks of scientific and medical laziness coupled with limited communication of reliable information, as we've been talking about. Most would choose vaccination without mandates if the science were compelling enough and if the sources were credible enough. Any benefits would be realized without stripping away personal dignity, unquote. This is kind of a nice uh, kind of summing up of, of, uh, of what you've been talking about. But John, how do these exceptionalist mandate, uh, mandates that we're seeing undermine both the common good and the proper formation of conscience? Well, they undermine the common good by displacing the primacy of the person very clearly, uh, first of all, because um, if you have no 
exceptions or nearly no exceptions um, in a mandate. First of all, let's remember a mandate is is not uh, a scientific reality. A mandate is uh, it's essentially a an intervention by an authority, whether it's a political, a governmental authority, or an employer, uh, wherever the case may be. So the the mandate is not science. It can and should, if there's going to be a mandate at all, needs to rely upon some science. Um, whether that would justify it or not is a different question. But uh, but we have to keep that distinction clear. And so to the extent that the mandate is forcing a group of people with no exceptions to receive the vaccine, it's basically saying you have no right to free and informed consent. That's what it's saying. Um, it is saying you must not, um, you know, you, you, maybe you'll have information if we give it to you and if it's sufficient enough um, for proper consent, but it won't be free. And you and I know this from a lot of personal experience with our consults. I mean, how many people calling us, uh, asking us, um, you know, I, I, I've been reflecting on this. I've been thinking about this. You know, I'm aware of all this information. I know this science on it. I don't want to get the vaccine, but I think I may need to get it because my employer is requiring it. Yep. And oh, it's yeah. like, oh, my goodness, is that free consent? Yep. Now, um, you know, or you adding can, to that just recently. Um, yeah. Parents calling up their children can't be, they can't register right. for school for next year right. if they don't have it. And these Correct. are in Catholic schools. Correct. Yes. Yes. And, and so, you know, a, a part of the trouble is, and, and this is the reason why you, you, you cited the quote, I said, it smacks of medical and scientific laziness. Okay. What do I mean by that? Um, I mean, we're using a tool of an authority like a school or an employer or a government to force basically to pressure you into accepting the medical intervention um, when if it were just up to the science and i'm just talking to my doctor and asking questions about the vaccine and i'm just trying to you know assume let's assume there's no mandate i'm just chatting with my doctor and he's giving me information and i'm saying oh okay that sounds interesting okay i like those benefits and you know what it's worth it i'm going to go for it in spite of certain risks okay great um that would be free and informed consent and that would be a case where i'm being convinced by medical information in conversation with a medical doctor. Um, and then I come to the decision, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe I took some time to look up additional resources first, chatted with my doc again, and then I make the decision. But when you tell me now, it's actually not the doctor who has to convince me anymore. And actually, maybe the doctor can't convince me. In fact, this is the reason why many mandates exist in the first place, because the doctors can't convince me if it's just up to the science and the doctors that I'm talking to. Um, that's not sufficient for me. So something else is needed to get these people to get the vaccine. And what is it? You can only go to school if you have the vaccine. You can only keep your job if you get the vaccine. Ah, okay, now some people are going to get it who otherwise wouldn't. Um, and so that's where what I mean by the medical and scientific laziness is that really the onus should be on medical professionals, the, the medical community, you know, to provide the science and to not just not just to provide supporting data, by the way, I want to be clear about this, um, because you can get data to support almost anything you want to say. <laughs> right. Um, but but to actually have the human relationships and the credibility in the personal context, like I trust this medical doctor because. I have a history of a relationship with this doctor. They've helped me in these different ways. And I trust this person. I trust their judgment. Um, and if they're recommending this vaccine, I may check a few things, 
but I have a level of trust in a doctor-patient relationship with this individual that I'm going to be willing to perhaps accept what they're telling me as valid, true, reasonable, and and for my good. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna accept that. But that takes hard work and time. And now I don't mean to put this all on the medical professionals either, because as we know, there are problems with the whole healthcare system that make it very difficult, if not impossible, for many medical doctors to actually establish any kind of real human relationship with their patients. It's okay. tough to do in a 15 yeah. minute appointment. Right. Yeah, know? exactly, exactly. So, so, but this comes back to the, the, the laziness though, is to say, because we don't have adequate doctor-patient relationships, well, therefore the government should force everybody to do, wait a minute, <laughs> no, no, that, that's not how it should work. That doesn't respect the primacy of the person. That doesn't help build up strong relationships. And it certainly doesn't serve the credibility of the medical and scientific community um, or, or of the broader healthcare system. What it does is it says, um, basically, you don't have enough convincingness and credibility on your own for people to, to do this when you suggest it. So therefore, you need some other blunt instrument that's going to threaten them if they don't do it, or that's going to deny them access to certain privileges or rights if they don't do it. Uh, and that's where I think the, the, the big problem is. And that's where that, um, that quote that you're coming from, that you were citing comes from. And so, so it damages the uh, primacy of the human person. It compromises the ability to make a free and informed consent. Um, and it uh, compromises also then the common good because we have, by and large, uh, people whose personal dignity and rights are being violated by never being actually allowed to engage in um, a real doctor-patient relationship um, and, and to draw their own conclusions about the credibility of the science and the sources um, that, that would enable them to, uh, to really own those decisions. Like, I want to be vaccinated. I want this because I see the good in it. Um, and by the way, just as a side note, for most previous vaccines, um, I think that the, the overall uptake rate is something like 98% of acceptance of most of the, the previous vaccines. Now, um, granted, there have been mandates in schools for those for a while. And so it'd be interesting to, to examine some of, you know, to what extent is that because of the mandates or not. But at a minimum, I think we can say this. There hasn't been anywhere near the level of uproar um, with any of the previous existing vaccines as there has been with the COVID-19 vaccines. Um, and this includes among many uh, physicians uh, and other experts who generally promote vaccines, including the, the previous vaccine. And so there's definitely something different here. And if the people by and large are not comfortable, I mean, you know, with taking the experimental genetic vaccines, um, then I think that that's something that has to be, in order to serve the common good, acknowledged and respected and not simply forced upon them. Um, so go with there. Good. One more question, John, and then I'm going to ask you for your final words of wisdom. Um, some have argued, and this was actually expressed at the Bishop's workshop that Pope Francis has stated, and he said this on multiple occasions, that there is a moral obligation to accept a COVID-19 vaccine. How do you respond? Well, the simplest way to respond is to say that, uh, Pope Francis did, uh, approve the publication of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith note from December of 2020, uh, which states explicitly that uh, vaccination as a rule is not a moral obligation, uh, you know, period. <laughs> um, so I, I think that you can, you can also go further and say, well, then clearly uh, what the Pope is speaking to here 
um, if he's talking about a moral obligation to vaccination, he cannot possibly mean a universal moral obligation to vaccination. Uh, Although there are some people who do argue that. I'm, I'm back. Some previous <laughs> well, guests on our podcast actually so, did yes. argue that. So, well, but, but, yeah. if if so, that's in direct contradiction to uh, to the CDF note from 2020, right? So, um, in any case, okay, um, we could then go on to say. So, if he's if he's not talking about a universal, it applies to every individual obligation. He could be talking to a, an obligation that many people uh, do have which would derive from their conscience judgment. In other words, those who are aware of, who are doing the, the, the seeking, who want to help their neighbor, who look into the science, who do due diligence and determine that, yes, I think this is something that's going to serve my well-being and those around me, and I want to do it as an act of charity, um, and it's not going to be too risky, and that's their judgment um, in prayerful discernment and so on and so forth. Well, they you could say they do have a moral obligation to do that, because if they've discerned that this is God's will for them on a prudential matter, which is not binding on everyone, um, it still is a moral obligation, but it's personal. It's not a universal obligation. Right. So like, if I if I feel compelled that the, that the Lord is calling me to do something, then I have an obligation to do it. <laughs> right. That, and this is when we get to what is even conscience and the proper understanding of conscience. You know, we still talk a lot in terms of obligations. But as we know, Vatican II, we moved away from the notion of the obligational moral conscience, which was predominant among the manualists, and much uh, more towards, rightfully, um, a notion of what is a um, conscience as, as something that's telling me what's going to fulfill me, what's going to draw me closer to God. So it's not just what I shouldn't do or what I'm strictly required to do by universal standards, but also what am I uniquely and specifically called to do in my circumstances that God wills for me? And if I discern that call and I say, yes, this is what God wants me to do, and then I say, but I'm not going to do it, then I failed in an obligation, in a moral obligation, uh, so to speak, because I identified the call. <laughs> I, this is the Lord's will. And then I said, no, I don't want that. Um, right. So. Yeah. So would you see Pope Francis's um, words of that it's a moral obligation to be more of a prudential judgment than a, well, as you said, as a, as a universal obligation binding on all people? I definitely, it can't be a universal obligation binding on all people because it would certainly, apart from contradicting that specific CDF statement, it also contradicts the whole history of the Catholic Church's uh, teaching <laughs> to say nothing of all that. But um, no, it. Uh, I would say uh, another way it could be understood or interpreted is as a sort of exhortation, you know, like, you know, I believe this is something people should very seriously um, consider. And look at and and that he even encourages people to do and and so forth that could be a part of the meaning and to speak of it in terms of a moral obligation certainly conveys a meaning of something that's very powerful that people want to reflect seriously upon um and 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 he may even believe that for many if not most people in a prudential way it will end up being a moral obligation but if he believes that and opines that, that doesn't make it uh, any kind of, you know, authoritative church teaching that's that's binding on every individual. Yep. All right, John, we have talked about a whole bunch of stuff in this interview. <laughs> I'd like to, like to wrap it up. What uh, final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? You've given us a lot. Whew, yeah. Um, I, I guess I would say that uh, I think it's important for us to come back to the basic theme uh, that I also wanted to convey in the talk, which is the devil likes to distract us with matters that are of lesser importance to get us all hung up on 
in this case, I would say prudential judgments about whether or not to be vaccinated, for example, um, is more than happy to have the Catholic Church split over itself, uh, you know, attacking one another over who's charitable and who's not and who's serving the common good and who isn't um, over a matter that really in the end is very clearly a prudential judgment of the individual and and cannot be a universal binding moral obligation of everybody. Um, and so, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, effort and energy um, over these kind of divisions and then fighting or bickering again over all of the, the details of the science and exactly how much effectiveness or efficacy versus side effects and whatnot. I mean, again, these are important considerations everyone should look into and, and make their judgments about credibility on. But um, to turn them into the sort of be all end all of what makes a good Catholic Christian is is terrible. And that's, I think, where the the temptation is, um, and and that uh, that the devil is more than pleased with, uh, in seeing us get you know all upset at one another. Um, when in the end, it would be as simple as saying, you know what, let everyone make their judgments. The call, which is a universal call, is to charity and to prudence. The call is to love God and to love our neighbor. The ways and means of accomplishing that and whether or not a COVID-19 vaccine in particular fits into that picture will vary um, in circumstances and for each individual. But every person can come to a judgment in conscience, um, in prayerful discernment with the Lord um, over what he's calling them to do as best they understand it and move forward on that path. And that is what will bring us all to holiness and to harmonious relations with one another which genuinely serves the common good no matter what, whether you know, whether and how fast exactly the virus is spreading or stopping. Um, if everyone is moving together on a path towards uh, harmony and toward uh, building one another up in the Lord and toward right worship, then we're on the direct path to fulfilling that common good. Uh, even if some of the, the details of the science may not be known for years, as to what ended up effectively, you know, reducing numbers here or there, um, or saving lives or not, or whatever all those those factors are. So I, I think it's important for us to go back to the the spiritual priority without losing sight of the importance of considering the physical, um, but to keep that priority spiritual. John D. Camillo, as always, thank you for a fantastic interview. My pleasure, Joe. It's always, it's always fun uh, talking with you. For more information on these topics and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you would like to subscribe to our newsletter or our Bioethics Public Policy Report, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot. Archived editions of our podcast are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, please go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red donate button. Thank you for listening and may God's peace be with you.